Welcome to the Jewish Lives Podcast, a monthly show by Jewish Lives, the prize-winning biography series published by Yale University Press and the Leon D. Black Foundation. I'm your host, Alessandra Wallner. Today, we're looking at an American baseball superstar, Hank Greenberg. In the second part of the show, I'll sit down with Mark Kurlansky, author of the Jewish Lives biography, Hank Greenberg, the hero who didn't want to be one. If you like what you hear, rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a friendly review. Thank you in advance. You can learn more about our books at jewishlives.org. Join us as we explore the Jewish experience together. And here's Hank Greenberg on the spot again. Prim looks him over carefully with the count three and two. Greenberg connects with a long drive that clears the left field railing into the crowd for a home run, tying the score seven to seven. It was Hank's second important home run blow of the series to put the Tigers back into the ball game. Hank Greenberg did it again. In Game 6 of the 1945 World Series, he hit a game-changing home run for the Detroit Tigers, propelling them to victory over the Chicago Cubs. Greenberg was a 1930s baseball star known for two things, his home runs and his heritage. He was a Bronx Jew, and while he wasn't the first Jewish pro baseball player, he was the first Jewish athlete to become an all-American superstar. The sports writer Ira Burkow recalls the words of another sports writer, Shirley Povich, to explain why. Shirley said that Hank was the perfect standard bearer for Jews. He was smart, he was proud, and he was big. (laughs) Greenberg took up the mantle of a Jewish standard bearer reluctantly. A hugely gifted athlete, he wanted to be known not as a great Jewish ball player, but as a great American ball player who happened to be Jewish. But in the autumn of 1934, something happened that made Greenberg into an American Jewish folk hero. That September, the whole country wanted the answer to one question. Would Greenberg observe Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the Jewish year? They wanted to know because that year, Yom Kippur happened to fall on the day the Detroit Tigers might turn around a 25-year losing streak and win an American League pennant against the New York Yankees. Greenberg, with his 339 batting average and record of hitting homers, was an essential part of the Tigers' winning strategy. For weeks, the press speculated about whether Greenberg would play, while baseball fans and Jews across the country waited with bated breath. In the end, Greenberg, who was not a religious Jew, sat out the game, and went to synagogue. 
From that day forward, Hank Greenberg was an American Jewish icon. And by the time he left baseball in 1941 to serve in the Army, his stature as a hero could not have been greater. Well, Dell, this is goodbye. It was swell to work with you. It's kind of tough to leave baseball, but when your country calls, there's nothing to do but respond. Hank, it's tough to lose you. Uncle Sam is getting a great guy, and I hope you hurry up and come back to us. Thank you. Though Greenberg chafed at the term hero, during a time of rabid anti-Semitism in the U.S., Hank Greenberg gave American Jews something, or rather, someone, to believe in. Here's sports writer Ira Burkow again. He said that uh, every time that I hit a home run, it was a home run against Hitler, because Jews were uh, supposed to be smaller, weaker, uh, not able to take care of themselves. And here is this great sports hero who is not only just hitting singles and doubles, but hitting home runs. Discover a robust exploration of Hank Greenberg's Bronx boyhood, his spectacular discipline as an aspiring ball player, and the cultural context of virulent anti-Semitism in which his career played out in Hank Greenberg, The Hero Who Didn't Want to Be One by Mark Kurlansky. Save 25% and get free shipping. For a limited time only, use code GREENBERG at checkout spelled G-R-E-E-N-B-E-R-G, only at jewishlives.org. Hi, Mark Kurlansky, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Nice to talk to you. Let's start with your subtitle of the book, The Hero Who Didn't Want to Be One. What made Hank Greenberg such a reluctant figure? Because he was this great athlete, and all he wanted to do was play ball. He loved sports in general. You know, he started with basketball, as many Jewish kids in Manhattan did, and then he moved to the Bronx. And there was a park, and he took up baseball, and he loved baseball. And when he retired from baseball, he became a tennis fanatic. But he just, he loved sports. That's what he wanted to do, and that's how he thought of himself. And he he wasn't really interested in being any kind of a hero or any kind of a Jewish model. He, he really resisted it. Towards the end of his life, he said, you know, I realized that being Jewish in difficult times, I meant something to people. And, and I realized, you know, that that was a good thing. But at the time, this wasn't who he wanted to be at all. What made him settle on baseball? Well, he settled on baseball because his family moved to Crotona Park in the Bronx, which is actually where my mother was from. But it was a big park, and so he could go out there every day and hit fly balls and got really good at it. And, uh, he was a natural athlete, and he was huge. He was six foot four. Today, the average height of a major league pitcher is six foot four. But in those days, he was like the biggest guy in baseball. And wasn't it also a bit of a pragmatic decision because of the money? Yes. Yes. I, I mean, 
you could make decent money, nothing, nothing like what you make today, but you could make some sort of decent money playing Major League Baseball. You, you earned almost nothing playing basketball. Uh, he was very good at basketball, being, you know, one of the tallest guys around. And uh, it was a big Jewish sport, basketball, in this, those days. But he quickly eliminated that as a possible career because there was no money in it. Yeah, that would only come later. And speaking of height, at the height of Greenberg's stardom, there were some very serious anti-Semitic forces at work in the U.S. And I'm wondering if you can tell us about the social and political climate in which he emerged as a player. Yeah, you know, a lot of this kind of got erased from memory because the U.S. went to war with Nazi Germany and then it became treasonous to be pro-Nazi. But before the war in the 1930s, a lot of Americans were pro-Nazi. Charles Lindbergh received an Iron Cross from Hitler in 1939, just months before Germany invaded Poland. 20,000 people attended a Nazi rally in Madison Square Gardens, which featured a giant portrait of George Washington for some reason. There was a guy named Father Coughlin, out of Detroit, where Greenberg played ball, who had a weekly broadcast, which was just an anti-Semitic diatribe. We are Christian in so far as we believe in Christ's principle of love your neighbor as yourself. And with that principle, I challenge every Jew in this nation to tell me that he does not believe in it. And it was extremely popular. It had thousands and thousands of listeners all over the country. So it was a tremendously anti-Semitic period in the United States, probably the most anti-Semitic period ever in the United States. And here was this guy, not the first Jewish baseball player, but the first star. Greenberg was a superstar. And unmistakably Jewish. I mean, even though he wasn't a practicing Jew, you know, he just looked really Jewish. (laughs) So he was kind of a lightning rod for uh, anti-Semites and was treated in ballparks uh, kind of similarly to how Jackie Robinson was treated when he first went into the majors with the Brooklyn Dodgers in the 40s. Uh, I mean, people just, the fans just shouted disgustingly anti-Semitic things at him, as did opposing players from the dugout. He was a first baseman, so he was, in most ballparks, he was very close to the opposing dugout. And these guys on the other teams would say all these horrible things to him and, uh, and kind of went through an evolution, as we all do, of learning how to deal with this. I mean, if you are a black or a Jew or an Asian or anything that uh, draws bigots, you have to make decisions about how you're going to deal with this. How did Greenberg respond to anti-Semitic slurs in the ballpark? Well, you know, he was well aware of the fact that he was bigger and stronger than anybody else. So he'd just walk over to the guy and say, what did you say? And sometimes he would belt them. And one time he went into the opposing uh, locker room because they had been saying some things. And he said, what is that? You wanted to say something to me? And they all just stood there frozen as this giant <laughs> glared at them. But over time, he came to feel 
that this wasn't dealing with it. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't making it go away. It, it wasn't really any kind of a solution. And he learned that the best thing he could do was to just sort of handle it stoically and try to rise above it. Not at all in his nature. I mean, Hank Greenberg was an extremely competitive guy who, you know, he was the sort of guy who, if you, you said something bad to him, he responded. It wasn't in his nature not to. That was true of Jackie Robinson also, by the way. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson and Hank Greenberg overlapped one year as major league players. Can you tell us something about their relationship? Well, I, you know, I, I talked to his widow, Rachel, about this, and, and she said that they didn't really have a close relationship, but they had a few very nice encounters, the first of which was on first base. Greenberg covering first base for the Pirates, and Robinson hit a single for the Brooklyn Dodgers, ran to first base, and Greenberg turned to him and said, you're doing all right, just keep it up. <laughs> and Robinson always remembered that. He always remembered, you know, Greenberg as, as just a good guy. That's one of the secrets of baseball is that, you know, first base is where opposing players really relate. If you watch first base carefully in any game, you'll see there's a lot of conversations going on between the runner and the first baseman. And, you know, sometimes the first base coach is joining in. <laughs> Great time on first base. <laughs> I'll have to check that out. Well, I have one more question for you, Mark, and that is, if you could meet Hank Greenberg, is there anything you'd ask or say to him? Well, you know, I'd love to meet Hank Greenberg, especially when I was writing the book. You know, it's a very strange thing. I've done it before. You write a biography, a story of a man's life, and you don't get to meet the man. But I, I, yeah, I would have loved to have talked to him. I, I, you know, I talked to so many people who knew him, friends and relatives. I, I, I would have loved to have known, um, you know, how he, how he felt when he was a ball player. He retired really earlier than he had to and was, was, was glad to get out and move on to a different phase in his life. Didn't hang out much with baseball players after that. And... I wasn't completely sure what his relationship to baseball was. But he was kind of like that. I wasn't completely sure what his relationship to Judaism was. So I would have asked him about that. Thank you, Mark Kurlansky, for joining us for the Jewish Lives podcast to talk about your book, Hank Greenberg, The Hero Who Didn't Want to Be One. It was my pleasure. The Jewish Lives podcast is made possible by the Leon D. Black Foundation. Special thanks to our partners at Yale University Press, Jewish Lives editorial director Eileen Smith, series editors Anita Shapira and Stephen J. Zipperstein, managing director Rebecca Keyes, and to Linda Brennan and Ruby Elliott Zuckerman. The Jewish Lives podcast is hosted and produced by me, Alessandra Wallner. Our music is composed by Barry J. Cohen. Groucho Marx once said, Outside of a dog, a book is man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. Watch for forthcoming Jewish Lives titles, including Man Ray, Judah Benjamin, 
and Abraham Joshua Heschel.